John, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything that came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being what came into being. Through the world was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not extinguish the light. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. It's been a little bit over a year since uh, we joined this community, Church of Advent Hope, moved to New York, and um, I'm uh, carrying one of the most beautiful titles I ever had in my life. I'm known as Julie's husband. <laughs> Julie, um, Julie is the one who makes the life of this community sweeter, and I'm not only talking about cookies and grapes after service. It's a um, true pleasure to work with such a wonderful leaders here at the church, pastoral staff, and I'm grateful to them and to Pastor Todd to sharing the pulpit with Julie's husband. And it makes me always nervous to speak in front of the people whom I've grown to love. And every time I get up here, it reminds me of my first sermon. Um, every time I preach, I go back um, 32 years. And uh, you can sort of picture it as a beginning of the uh, Mission Impossible movie. 1992, somewhere near Moscow. Just think it in black and white. Because that is just way too long ago, but I remember it as of today. I was, what you would say, a newly baptized Seventh-day Adventist. I'm originally from Odessa, Ukraine. And it was such a tumultuous time. The Soviet Union fell apart. We as young people, we didn't know where to go, what to do. And um, th th this, this finding faith for, for me was, was, was so important. So I had this crazy idea that I want to become a pastor. And uh, I headed out with the 200 plus other um, people to Zaoksky, Russia, which is about 80 miles away from Moscow, not far from uh, where uh, Georgia is from. Um, it's about like 30, 20, 30 miles from Tula. So we, we kind of have a little bit of a Russian set today for you. Um, the, uh, we, um, I had no idea what I was doing. A lot of people that I was um, applying to go to the seminary with, they grew up in the church. So um, they had only 50 positions open and 200 plus applied. So I started getting a little nervous about the chances for the one getting in. Plus some of them had the sort of a legacy privileges because they were uh, children of pastors, uh, uh, church or denominational workers. Some of them uh, volunteered for many years in church. Uh, they grew up in church. Um, and at that time, the church in the former Soviet Union was basically one big family because it was kind of isolated from the larger society. So people would marry one another, and it was basically everyone was related. If it's the, an average uh, church in the average town, like 80% of the church would be sort of the related one way or the other, marriage or, or, or some other ways. So this is... This is um, making um, my task much more challenging going there. And the application process in the seminary consisted of three parts. You write an impromptu time write on uh, some of the topics they give you. You don't have 
you don't know what they're going to ask, so you had to do that, and I'm, I'm terrible in writing under pressure, so I was nervous about it. Then there was an interview, and of course, people who, the majority of people who got interviewed, they know the acceptance committee people because of, they grew up together, or they knew parents, or they, I was a total stranger. But the last part of the application process, you can probably guess, it was the delivering a sermon. And I prepared everything I could. But most important, I thought, in just a couple of months before that, I saw a broadcast either on TV um, of Billy Graham preaching in the big stadiums. And those of you who, who, who old enough to remember, well, you can Google later who Billy Graham, there was no bigger evangelist person in the um, 20th century than Billy Graham. And Billy Graham had the statue, he was preaching to hundreds of thousands of people, stadiums at that time as he was experimenting with satellites. And um, Billy Graham would get up and he would say, and every eye would close in the whole stadium, like tens of thousands of people just close uh, and pray. And I thought that's how preaching should be done. So may I remind you that it was, did I mention that um, it was about 40 pounds ago that I was preaching that. So I was 165 pounds, 6.2 inches, or 187 centimeters, if you fancy the metric, which makes much more sense. Um, so I, I was getting up, and I thought, I need to look really impressive and serious about my preaching. So I was working on the facial expressions that in the end turned out to be I was looking like a New Zealand rugby player doing pre-game routine. And, and, and I lowered my voice. Um, and, and I just, just got into that in a practice. But when I got to the pulpit, something unexpected happened. And it kind of threw my entire game off. The pulpit was nice and big. There was enough room to place everything. There was one little problem. The president of the seminary at the time was Michael Kulikov. Michael, um, Dr. Kulikov, is one of the most brilliant, smartest people I've met in my life. But one thing that he did not have um, is, is, is height. So Michael was probably, I don't know, five. I don't want to lower his height more than the five, five, maybe five, six. But, but they adjusted, I believe, the platform so he's comfortable. So for my um, um, skinny um, self, it was a little lower. And I had the, and all I got with me, as I told you, um, the, the, you know, and, and malnutrition body, old sunglasses, and uh, secondhand um, hand-me-down suit that I had to borrow. Um, it actually kept um, after a certain event in my life that I'll tell you about later. So that's all I got. So when I looked down, I clearly realized that I could not see any of my notes. <laughs> so what do you do? Remember, I'm not even thinking clearly because all I'm thinking about is my opening line that's supposed to go something like this, very serious, very impressive. And, and at that point, I look ridiculous. I look like a bobblehead that, that did not pass quality control and now sold 99 cent store. Prorok Isaiah, говорит своему народу, Pretty serious stuff. I say Isaiah addressing people on behalf of God. That's a pretty serious message. Don't mess with Isaiah. There's one little problem. 
I tried to read my notes, so I bended my knees. Don't laugh, it's a serious sermon. The acceptance committee is sitting sideways. They're sitting on the side. My audience in front of me, 200 plus applicants plus 100 seminary students, about 400 people there looking, but they don't see any of that because there's a pulpit. All they see is the bubble head that sounds very serious. But when they look at the acceptance committee, they begin a cognitive dissonance because the acceptance committee members start looking like Jimmy Fallon and Amy Poehler breaking out of the character on SNL. Some of them were having a hard time even remaining on their chairs. They were sliding off. They were laughing. Why they were laughing? Because the preacher, Vadim, was standing behind the pulpit and doing John Travolta and Uma Thurman from Pulp Fiction. It sounds very serious. I don't know for how long it was going on, but apparently for them it felt like forever. Imagine the audience that looking at the acceptance committee who were just hiding their smiles, and I, me sounding terrible. The whole experience was, I, with the corner of my eyes, I caught as I knew something was wrong. I, I, did, I could not remember how I finished and what happened afterwards. All I was waiting, a couple hours, and it was the longest couple hours in my life because they were supposed to put the listing of those who were accepted. Of course, we were expecting 50 names. When they put the listing, they were on three sheets. I remember it as it happened yesterday. Sheet number one, know my name. Number two, no name. And then I go down and my heart starts sinking. And I go all the way to number 47. And I see my last name, Dementiev. And I thought, wow, 47, I barely squeezed in. After I kind of got back my senses, one of the committee members came to me, put his hand around me, and said, Dementiev, you're the only student, perhaps in the history of this institution, that have or ever will dance his way into the seminary. <laughs> this, is, this is how it always feels. And to be honest with you, Elvis Presley would be impressed with the inner legwork that's happening inside of me right now. And the reason for it, not only because of the fact that it's a huge responsibility to preach, the topic and the theme of our series this particular time is very challenging because we're focusing on this aspect of God with us, which means it, it is inherently, it has to be what some would call theological. And people say, theological, wait a minute. I, I don't want to do any, I do a lot of thinking, a lot of um, intellectual work. I've done my schooling. I don't want to do any, any sort of heady um, intellectual stuff. I don't want to come in church and enjoy. I don't want to do theology. But the problem is that we cannot, we cannot become followers of God. We cannot be Christians without doing theology. And this is what this series reminds us, that we pause and take a good look who God is. And what the presence of God 
and who God is, what it means, and how it affects our lives on a practical level. It's not about philosophical mind-bending and, and discussion. It's about taking and saying, does this make sense to believe in God? Because what I'm noticing after a few years, ever since my seminary dance, I've learned around the church that the problem today is not that a lot of people don't believe in God. The problem is that a lot of people who say they believe in God, they don't know God they believe in. And what we're trying to do with this series is to say, what is it actually we believe? So we're going to, some of the things that, that we have to address that are fundamental, that it's important to be reminded. Pastor Michelle did a phenomenal job in the past two sermons, especially tackling such a difficult issue as the issue of Trinity. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit because it's all kind of related together. It all works together beautifully. We really posit. But why theology matters? Why is it important? Today, unfortunately, I know a little bit about um, preaching and I, from life experience and listening, I have to tell you, there's so much preaching today that happens that basically nothing more than glorified TED Talks. How to use the Bible to improve your financial situation, your time management, your relationship, your parenting, or just to find the joy and peace in life. And here is I'm going to give you five points. If you do them, your life is going to get better. And of course, it's all biblical because I'm going to use the text from the Bible. I'm going to prove text everything that I'm going to tell you. So Bible works for me very well because I can use the Bible to tell you what I want to tell you. But this is not what the theology does. Theology reorients it because those kind of conversations, people love it. I mean, who doesn't want to have a big, and people share it on, on social media. They, they click it, they put likes, they share it, and it becomes viral. And everybody says, look at this, what a great message. Now I know how to be happy, how to find a um, lifelong partner. But this is not what the theology does. Because those kind of important messages, and I'm sure we need to talk about in these practical aspects and, 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 and to learn some self-improvement things, it's all good. And, and if you go to Barnes & Noble, the newly opened, guess what the largest section of the books is going to be there? Self-improvement. So it's, apparently it's needed. There's a need there. But the question is, is that what we need to focus in our following God? Because there's a very little danger that somehow we start focusing on our own and human understanding and start seeing life from a human perspective, which is becomes very individualized and quite, quite frankly fractured. All of a sudden we have these things, our goals and our dreams and our desires and our ideas. It's all these are the dots that, that we have the career um, goals and, and educational and, and relational and, and, it, and it all becomes these little dots that we pursue with eagerness. We spend our lives. But when we look understand what is it our life is about we step back and nothing on a human level can ask answer the question why you live period because only theology only the notion of god can answer the question why science can do a fantastic job medicine can do fantastic physiology all other things can answer how and what but why there's not a scientist can answer you why certain things work. It doesn't. They can ask you how it works, what happens, but why only feel, I don't know any other way of looking at the world than through the world of theology. So that's why this, this series is such of importance. And that's why it makes me so much nervous. Sometimes I have to tell my students that um, you have to, everything I share with you is, probably 80% um, is true. 
The problem is I don't know which 80% it is. So every time I get here, I'm very nervous because it's a huge responsibility. But at the same time, we cannot avoid addressing this. And that's why there's a little bit of an inner dance happening right now. We are starting to talk theology. But it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be intimidating and, and overwhelming because theology is not what you get from a sort of theoretical learning. It's obviously it helps to read and so, but, but, but theology is really, if you think about it, it's rather simple. Somebody once said that everything you need to know in terms of theology is written in the first three or whichever way you want to look, the first four words in the Bible. You've heard them, you know them. And there, of course, what? In the beginning, God. Of course, um, Pastor Todd, who um, thought that it would be important um, to try this topic, and, 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 and he said, first it's going to be Michelle, and then it's going to be uh, Julie's husband, and if they survive, then he's going to come in and continue the series. So when we talk about heavy theology stuff, of course, you have to use Hebrew language. And I don't know Hebrew. I don't want you to think that I'm an expert in any sense. I studied it twice, undergraduate and then in the seminary, and I forgot everything I studied. But I remember the first opening line. And you can learn it today. If anything you learn today, you can learn what are the first three words in the Bible in Hebrew. Bereshit, can you say after me, Bereshit? Bara, Elohim. You're all theologians now. Don't think me, think Pastor Todd. That was his idea. No, I'm just kidding. But why is it important? Why are these words? And by the way, the literal translation is not quite in the beginning God. The literal translation in the Hebrew is Bereshit. Bara means in the beginning he created. This is the first thing that the reader of the Hebrew Bible understands, that it all begins with the notion of creation. God of the universe is the creator. So the beginning of everything it determines is this idea of the creator. Creator who takes the world in the beginning and brings out of darkness something out of chaos, the, 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 the unique quality of this creation story that it was created out of what? Out of nothing. Anyone can do something out of something, but create out of nothing. It's only privilege of one and only one being, God the creator. So when we look at this story in the beginning, we start rearranging the life. And when we start connecting these dots, we say, what does it mean in the beginning, God? I sure can relate to this because in the beginning, God was not my beginning. I was born in Odessa, Ukraine, mom and dad, and it's me in the middle. And uh, I had as much hair back then as I do now. <laughs> I had a little glimpse of hope in the middle, but then it went away again. So my cultural upbringing, the notion of God was either dismissed because of the atheistic communist um, propaganda 
or it was reduced to the level of cultural superstition. You do certain things because it's, but mostly it's not a theological, it's mostly mythological. You do things because a, a grandma on the back, we call them babushkas, tell you this is what you need to do, and this is how you put the candle, and this is how you walk, this in, walk out, and that's only new, but it's mostly superstitious stuff. So I did not really have this idea in the beginning. Of course, uh, I had to show you some, some the, the, the kind of mindset and the training. So on one picture, my grandfather, who was World War II veteran, thought I should be raised a soldier. My mom and my grandma, who raised me, thought I should be into sort of a performance and dancing. Since this construct, a very contrasting um, background of my childhood, that um, I, 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 I growing up in, in thinking that at least we have the world and environment around us. But as I mentioned to you, um, in um, 1991, when the Soviet Union fell apart, we as young people lost everything we could. No, why to study, where to go, uh, people losing their jobs, people, um, uh, and everything, the world completely collapsed, turned upside down. And um, I did not know where to go, what to do with my life. I, I was going, um, I was in college, second year, we start college a little earlier. I was studying electronic engineering, and I didn't know what to do. In one particular early spring in 1991, I came home after three days of being a part of the wedding party. If you know anything about Russian weddings, it's the three days that specifically designed with a certain single malt beverages that um, don't allow you to remember anything for three days. <laughs> but it had a very different effect on me because I came home on Sunday night, that early spring of 91, I sit down and I realized I felt so empty and dark inside. Like nothing would, would I would look outside and the, and, 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 and the sky was, 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 was getting dark. And I thought, my word, what's happening to me? People have a different encounters with God. Some see beautiful landscapes, some hear revelations, some hear a song, some go in a um, camp meeting, some go to the summer camp, discover God. Mine came into the deep realization of the, that looked like the beginning of the book of Genesis. The darkness and chaos. And out of that, there was this, this flickering light of hope that I felt. I, I went outside, put the two copies um, in, in a payphone, called my friend who a few months before that stumbled into Adventist church and said, I'm going to church with you whether you want it or not. That's how it all started. But every time I read these words from a text of emphasis in the beginning, to me, in my mind, it somehow high arches all the way back from the Gospel of John to the Genesis, but also into the early spring of 91 in Odessa, Ukraine, when I find that in the middle of darkness and chaos, God continues to do God's creative work. So theology does not have to be intimidating. Theology is basically finding, having this encounter, this life-changing, transforming experience with God that becomes sustainable. And this is not of my doing. This is not the effort of my will. This is this allowing, accepting, and opening up to see how God invites us into God's life and presence. But how does it work on a practical level? 
Because this is a little bit sort of, and, and unless you personally experience it, it's hard to describe. But I think the very book of Genesis helps us to even understand, because when we read it, in knowing a little bit of the historical context of how it was written, it helps us understand the importance of what we sometimes take for granted. When we read the story of the creation, say, oh, God created says, in the first day, in the second day, in the fourth day. It's interesting that the time is being affected. As God creates the physical world, God creates the time because the sun and the moon come up and we count our days because of the rotations. So God changes not only the physical space, God also changes time. We'll talk a little bit about that. But when God creates, it also sets as an alternative to the very common understanding of the origin of the world that existed in the ancient world. And one of the best examples we find in the ancient myth, ancient Babylonian myth of Enuma Elish. See, according to the biblical um, promise, like in the book of Hebrews, it says that God created, God thought through, and God initiated this world. But it wasn't a popular opinion because God as a creator that does something out of act of love and beauty. That's not how ancient people thought the, the world came about. The popular Enuma Elish story that uh, resonates in other um, creation stories around the world at the time. I don't want to get into the details. I, I, I read it every time. I could never get the names right or confused. But the basic story is that gods, especially in the beginning, there were two gods. And they decided they're going to create something. And because I think mostly because they were bored. So they create the world. And one of the goddess, um, two gods, Ansu and Tiamat, Apsu and Tiamat. And eventually they, they created they were, they, they created other gods. And uh, there's no world yet, but, but there are other gods living. They're having children, children having children. So the typical stuff. And, and, until the typical stuff that happens because Apsu and Tiamat get each other and other gods and children are trying to plot to kill Apsu and now we have a problem because Tiamat um, upsets other gods, other gods are create a coup and they need a leader and the leader of the coup comes the god named Marduk. Marduk says, okay, I'll go and fight Tiamat for you. In, 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 um, in the return, you give me, if I win, you give, me all the um, you give me all the power and you all bow down to me. I'm going to be your supreme leader. And they hate uh, Tiamat so much. This, this is the stories of dictatorship that, that, that is so ancient, it's not even funny. So they all give, and they also give all the supplies to, to Marduk to defeat Tiamat. So Marduk goes and kills Tiamat, but it's not only that, to finish and to finish the destruction of Tiamat, of, of, of Tiamat Marduk takes Tiamat and tears her in two halves. Can you guess what the two halves are? The water below and the water above, which is sky. That's the story of creation of the world. And then the gods continue to be annoyed with one another. And they have the younger gods who are like teenagers that party and they get annoyed. So the gods 
kill some of them because they're so loud and Tiamat get upset with them. So, and, and, and the other gods get upset with each other. And they realize we can't live like this. We need someone because we, we're too worked out. We work too much. So what do we need? We need servants. So out of the blood of the dead god, they create, can you guess who they created? Humans. Human beings created as a result of the war, conflict, betrayal, violence, murder, created out of blood with the one and only one purpose, to serve and please gods. You can imagine the contrast that offered us in the book of Genesis. Because in the book of Genesis, the world and the human beings is a result of a beautiful relationship. We kind of tapped in, in, in um, Pastor Michelle did a phenomenal job describing that the nature of God is the Trinity. We talk about this, this, this concept of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That God is love. What we see as this world, when we see around it, when we see each other in the eyes, this is the, meant to be a physical representation and expression of the love, compassion, and mutual care that exists within the Trinity. This life is basically participating. And if we look at the Trinity as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit triangle, where are we in the created world? We're meant to be in the very middle of that, in the center, because we're the product of that relationship. But things got wrong. The darkness and chaos made its way and fell out. And we fell out of this relationship. By the way, the story of creation, as I mentioned to you a little bit of, about, uh, not only changes the, rearranges the space, but also rearranges the time. We talk a lot about the perfect relationship and perfect um, love. So this, this relationship is what happens to us when we are with someone who we absolutely love, adore, and we think it's the best person. What happens to time when we're with a person like this? or with a group of people like that. Time becomes irrelevant, or it goes too fast. We don't pay attention to time. But imagine you in the perfect relationship. What happens to time? It disappears. So that's when we talk about eternal God. We're not talking about the quantity of time, but we talk about the quality of time. So eternity is available to us today as a quality of life that we observe and experience. Eternal God is the quality of a perfect relationship. That's why you can imagine that if we, until we fix the harmony in relationship with God, the eternity as we know it as a quality of life is not available. God will find a way to resolve this, sending His Son to bring us and introduce to us to the quality of life that is internal. And that's how we get access through the, by grace into this relationship between Father, back into the life of God. And by the way, the theologians were like, how we can explain this? this all the human metaphors kind of break down when we try to explain the Trinity. The, but one thing in the 7th, 8th century, they say, how about we talk about the relationship between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit using this fancy Greek word perichoresis. And it's, not, it, and, and it's a very simple word because it describes, peri means around, 
and choresis, we have an English word that we use choreography, which means what? Dance. So perichoresis is a round movement. So basically, the life of God is a dance. So God, when he invites, God, God invites us into relationships, he invites us to a dance, eternal dance. So theology doesn't have to be intimidated. Theology is not about effort. Theology is not about trying harder and doing more or trying to follow these five things or memorizing this much or knowing this or getting this enough. Theology is simply taking God's hand and allowing God to take us. So in that early spring of 91, after the wedding, by the way, the very suit that I was wearing for my sermon a year later to preach at the seminary was the very suit I was wearing at that wedding. I felt God invites me. And the rest of my life since that has been a wonderful dance. If you've seen and imagine, remember the Greek dance when the people get around in a circle? Or you see the uh, Jewish dance sometimes, and they do this. That's perichoresis. So theology is not that intimidating thing. It's not about stressing or doing or measuring up to a certain degree, but simply letting God invite to this dance. And it only became possible because God came and himself in Christ invited us. Paul puts it so beautifully in, the, in, in the Second Philippians, quoting the ancient hymn, ancient song, Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him name above all names, so that in the, at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under earth might bow, and every tongue confess, and Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. God goes down on the dance floor with us. So we know how it feels. We know how it experiences. And we know and we again remember what it means. Barashid, bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. The story of redemption through Christ is basically the story of recreation or creation 2.0, if you, if, 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 you mean, if you know what I mean, because God takes us out of the darkness and chaos of our own lives. When these this dots that are so disconnected and disjointed that, that our lives sometimes look like a broken tempered glass that you can't even sweep together, not to mention just you can't see through it. Now, all of that is becoming anew again. And this light is coming into the world that changes the perspective. God never changes in God's commitment to us to restore us, to bring, because in the beginning, it is God. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do for God to love us less. It's not our efforts. 
is just answering to this invitation. Paul in um, Romans chapter 8 writes, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. No death or life, no angels, no rulers, no present things or future things, no powers or height or depth or any other things that is created. I believe in God. I follow God. And I know that to believe in God is not about trying to become better, but to experience this grace-filled transformation that comes to us when we join, when we take God's hand and join the divine dance. So doing theology, and what we're going to spend the next few weeks, is basically finding our own rhythms, finding our own moves, finding our joy with God. In answering this most important question, why? Because in the beginning, God, and that is so true to no end, quite literally. I just feel how God comes to us, comes to your life right now, Advent Hope, puts hand on your back and says, I'll see you dance all the way to eternity. Amen.